Welcome to episode 7 of the podcast experiment. Today's guest is Jason Repsch. He's a police officer and Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He's also the co-founder of Invictus Leo and the Make It Mandatory movement. Enjoy the show. Give us uh, some background about yourself. Uh, well, um, let's see. I've been a police officer over 20 years now, which is hard to believe. And uh, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for almost 12 years. Uh, I got my black belt last year under Brian Marvin, uh, Hinzo Gracie. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of my background when it comes to law enforcement and jiu-jitsu. I've done a lot of stuff in law enforcement. Uh, now I'm currently, uh, signed to criminal investigation, which is, uh, one step closer to, uh, just being desk jockey. And, uh, that's kind of where I am right now. Right. How old are you? I am 40. I turned 45 Friday. Oh, okay. Yeah, we uh, we're, we're we're the same age, and uh, we started about the same time. I started about uh, twelve years ago myself. Uh-huh. And yeah, I, I, you know, mid thirties is about when I I don't know, I was looking for something to to do self defense wise for police work. I knew I needed something, and also something to help uh, get me in better shape. And um, talked to a lot of people who did different martial arts. My brother kind of steered me towards jujitsu. It was definitely the right call. Does your brother have his black belt? No, my brother, some people know my brother. He um, He's a lifelong martial artist, did traditional martial arts for a long time, and actually ended up, when he talked me into starting jiu-jitsu, he started jiu-jitsu. And about the time he got his purple belt under James Foster up in Seattle, uh, he had a tragic accident at work, which has left him paralyzed from the chest down. And uh, wow. so his jiu-jitsu career kind of stopped right then. He's still involved. Uh, where he can be, but uh, that the accident was pretty uh, caused a lot of damage. Right, and left him with very limited mobility. So uh, his heart's still in it, and we talk about it all the time. And uh, probably still have future plans together with Jujitsu, but he just he's unable to to train anymore. Wow, that's tragic. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. What's 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 so tragic about it? It's tragic for anybody, you know. Uh, my brother, but so active. And uh, just physically, just, you know, just one of those guys is just super physically fit, just always active. Every time we went to Seattle, we, we always did, we enjoyed the outdoors up there, the Pacific Northwest, because it's, it's so beautiful. And uh, we do love training together. And, uh, yeah, for him, you know, especially, I think, who really just loved physical activity, um, to, to have something like that happen was really tough. But anybody who's followed his story, uh, and I encourage you guys, you can see links to him on, on my, any of my social media. Um, he's an inspiration because he trains and he does rehab three times a week, fights hard. He's come really far and he's just, he's actually a huge inspiration uh, for me and I know a lot of other people. All right. Um, do you own your own school? No, I don't. I am just a student. I do teach, uh, for Professor Marvin, uh, sometimes, usually once a week. Uh, kind of whatever he needs me. You know, when you got a full-time job, and you know because you're a full-time cop too, it's kind of you're training when you can, and you're, you're you know you got your full-time job, and you got family uh, right. commitments. So it's uh, you know I don't know if I want to open my own school or not. It's something I've definitely put a lot of thought into. Uh, my brother, I mentioned before, he owned his own school for a long time, a very successful school. It was a traditional martial arts school, but uh, you know the basis, the basic. Uh, I guess business tenets of owning a martial arts school is the same. 
And we've talked about it, and he has a lot of experience. So if I do go that route, it'll probably be something I do with with him. How long did it um, How long did it take to get, for you to get your black belt? I think it was eleven years. <laughs> yeah. It was. A, it your was, it your was story sounds sounds exactly the same as mine. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have um, I have nineteen years on in the department that I work for also. So we're, you know, our age is the same. It took me about, you know, 10, 11 years for me to get my black belt. Cause I just got it over a year ago. Yeah. Oh, so we got ours like about the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, um, you know, I, I thought about opening my own school. I thought, you know, when I became a black belt, am I going to open my own school or not? And, you know, like you said, it, it it's difficult with, uh, with a full-time job. Well, it is, and like you look at what Ari does, and that's you know, like, and he's he's only been a police officer for four years now, uh, and he's good. I mean, he's juggling full time police work, shift work at that, right. uh, and a full and a school, which he's been running schools for a while. You know, that's I I don't know how he does it. It takes a lot of dedication. I've, it's something that if I do, it would be as a compliment to what I do now, as far right. as my my main job being a police officer, uh, and it would have to fit in with that lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and it may be something when I retire that I would have, uh, to be able to keep sharing knowledge and it would be able to, if I'm retired, something I'm enjoying doing and not necessarily relying on, uh, as a main source of income type thing, because as we all know, not a lot of martial arts schoolers are getting rich out there. So, right. you know, it's something you do as a passion project, I think more than anything else. What, what's your, uh, Instagram, um, account? Uh, it's BJJ underscore cop. On it, I do. I used to do a lot of videos, instru- like not instructional. That's just do little quick 60, 60 second little segments. Um, and uh, but I do it with my personal stuff. It's also my personal Instagram page. Right. And I'm trying to get a little bit more back into that. Uh, what I used to do with those, and I remember I get, I got a lot of real positive feedback when I started doing it. And actually, I originally started doing it. Because people would always ask, well, do you train with your gear on? You know, how does, how does jiu-jitsu work with your gear on? So I was like, uh, I don't know. Let's, uh, let's put some gear on and move around and see what happens. And I ended up uh, filming a little bit of it just to see what it looked like and how it felt like. And I posted, like, one of the videos, and, like, a lot of people liked it. And so then I just started trying different techniques out with the uniform on. And I didn't do it so much as instructional, like – this is a 60-second clip, and you're going to be efficient with this technique at the end of this 60 seconds. Because anybody who trains jiu-jitsu knows that never, you know, that'll never happen. You have to, it takes a long time to get efficient at any of these techniques. Right. Uh, I did it kind of more just to get guys training. I just wanted guys to see it, uh, to see that you can train jiu-jitsu. It's effective with your equipment on, um, and that the shit works, and that the more advanced you are with your training and your technique, the more... Uh, options you have when you're dealing with like a combative subject on the street i just wanted them to see it like if you're really good you can pull off some crazy shit on somebody uh if you had to uh, although that's not i don't recommend trying crazy shit on the street but if you had to you could like if he was in that situation and you had that that was the one technique that's going to work there and you train a lot you would have it to be able to use you know you know that's that's one thing i never did is i never trained jujitsu in in my duty gear or in my vest so you know for me i really don't know 
what it's like, especially especially fighting off your back on concrete with your mm-hmm. gear on. But you know, I can imagine how hard it is to move when you're wearing a vest and you have it strapped tight, you know, to your body. Mm-hmm. Making do y'all carry the over carry vest? Or do y'all have the? Do you wear an under vest? No, an under vest. Oh, okay. And you know, like I have the I have the level three. It's thin, right. but it, it's it's kind of like um, it's not very pliable. Mm-hmm. The vest that I have, and um, I can imagine, you know, like like maybe sitting up from a guard position would be hard. So we used to have the under vest, and you sh- we still have the option, but it's gotten real big, at least here in Texas. I know with a lot of departments, um, the overcarry vests, the the ones that are on the outside of the shirt. Yeah, um, they're super comfortable, and they're actually a lot easier to move in because you don't have them strapped so tight to your body that uh, it limits your movement as much. And what I did find was I can like so just trying stuff from a guarded from a guard position, a closed guard position. I can do just about everything, and I can find a way to make just about any technique work um, from there. And I there was probably a couple techniques that were not I know that I found like okay that's going to be real difficult to do but uh like even like a hip bump sweep from from close guard I was able to to do it like you're on I do think some of this depends on your fitness level too um the more out of shape you are obviously the harder it is to sit up and to do things even in regular jiu-jitsu so then when you add gear to it, it becomes even harder um so your fitness level has definitely has um is a factor and how well you're going to be able to, to execute techniques, not just in regular jujitsu, but in if you're on the street and you're trying to trying to use your jujitsu to control a subject or arrest them, uh, it's definitely going to be a factor, probably more of a factor because of the adrenaline and all that stuff that's going on. And we all know that fight on the street is way different than the gym because a lot of these guys are, are fighting for their lives. At least they are right. in You got to you have a, a lot of adrenaline going. So does the suspect. Mm-hmm. So how how did yeah. you and Ari meet? So that's like, actually that's an interesting story. So I don't I don't know if you, if you remember this because we started at the same time. I remember shortly after I started training, we everybody what do they do? They go to YouTube and start looking for uh, techniques how to learn. You know, you learn in jujitsu on YouTube. I think everybody does it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Any, any anything you can learn and apply, I think is great. Um, so I remember going on YouTube all the time and like, what is this technique? Or let me find a way to learn this technique. And I just remember looking for something and <clears throat> Submissions 101 came up. That's his old uh, YouTube page where he used to post a lot of videos. And I found it, and I remember watching it and it like broke down this technique uh, perfectly. I think it was a Japanese necktie or Peruvian necktie. And it was like, he broke it down so well. I was like, this is awesome. I remember going to class like that. I'm like, I gotta hit this. And, uh, and then I just started going to it all the time. Like, boom, what, what's it take? Go to so much as 101. And sure enough, Ari had broken down. I think he was a purple belt at the time with uh, 10th Planet. He had broken down like all these techniques and he had done, he did such a good job breaking them down. I just, it was my go-to. So fast forward like 10 years later. And I got my little Instagram page, and I'm posting little videos for cops in uniform, you know, kind of what we were talking about. And he left a comment on one of my uh, videos, you know, and it was it was a good comment. So I was like, oh, who's this guy? And I click on it, and uh, I go to the page, and I'm looking at it, and I go, wait a minute. Is that is that Ari from Submissions 101, Ari? 
And so I sent him a message, and he said, yeah, that's me. And I said, holy shit, like I'm a huge fan. And we just kind of started talking from then on and uh, kind of developed a little friendship through social media and sharing stuff. And uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how we ended up kind of developing a little bit of a friendship. And Have you guys actually met in person yet? No, no, we haven't. June's going to be at that at the June 8th seminar for Invictus. It's going to be our first uh, first time we get to meet and uh, roll. So I'm looking forward to to that because there's been a little bit of trash talking back and forth. <laughs> um, that, Kevin, uh, but yeah, I'm sure he's going to just destroy me. But it's going to be fun. I'm going to enjoy. So so out. how did you guys yeah, how did you guys come up with the make it mandatory movement? So I, we can't I, we can't really claim credit for the hashtag make it mandatory movement. What that kind of was is. And I, you know what, I'm sitting trying to think back how this all really started, but there's like a little group of us. There's, there's been a lot of cops who through social media just kind of started connecting, who trained jujitsu, who started connecting, right? It was like, like a, a way I connected with Ari. Um, I ended up connecting with a guy named, uh, John, Me- or John Metcalf in Austin, um, uh, Jeff Romolino, um, some other guys just kind of ended up connecting and talking about law enforcement, jujitsu, and you know, you just have, a real just kind of have something to talk about there right because it's like cops naturally kind of gravitate towards each other anyway right there's like a little bit of, there's a brotherhood there because uh, we have shared experiences and a shared probably like-mindedness and so you add jujitsu jujitsu is just as much that way there's a brotherhood with jujitsu you meet someone who trains jujitsu you automatically have like a shared passion with somebody so you combine those two and then all of a sudden it's like you really have something in common and uh so anyway, I, somehow we all started uh, just talking, and maybe we popped up at we we started a little messenger group, I think, on Facebook with a bunch of us in there, and uh we just uh, we were maybe trash talking and stuff. Anyway, Ari was he said he's gonna come down to he was to come down to Houston to hang out for a few days, train and and whatnot. And I was like, that'll be awesome. And uh another guy was in there and he's like hey let's start making some videos about how cops should be training jiu-jitsu why aren't all cops training jiu-jitsu you know this is the perfect martial arts for what we do you know it addresses almost everything we have to deal with and what our what our goal is when we're trying to arrest somebody and so someone started saying we should make it mandatory for jiu-jitsu and i, I can't think of the guy's name offhand who kind of came up with that at first and then i remember john made some social media and attach that make it mandatory, BJJ make it mandatory. Uh, and then it just kind of took off from there. And then Ari started pushing it. <clears throat> and then Ari and I started talking about, well, since you're coming down in June, we should, let's do something. Let's, let's do a little bit more. Maybe, maybe have like a little seminar or something. And it started off as like a little seminar. I mean, and I wasn't even sure if we were going to do this. So we started bouncing this idea around about having a little seminar. And guys were like, yeah, that would be awesome. And it just kind of expanded from there into, you know, like, uh, Chad Lyman, I know you know him. He was in on that group too. And it just kind of expanded. Like all of a sudden it was, well, we'll have a seminar with some really awesome police guys, police officers who are black belts teaching. Like who, you know, most people, when they go to a seminar, they don't really see a lot of police officers teaching. You mostly see some of the real high level guys you know, teaching some teaching techniques. I say, well, you know, if we're going to do a seminar for police officers that should be teaching, um, 
let's have police officers teaching it. Let's show people what officers, there are officers out there that are high-level guys. Maybe they're not competing necessarily at high levels, but they're super knowledgeable and they're applying their jujitsu knowledge uh, to street tactics that officers use. And so it just kind of blew up into that. And all of a sudden, you know, we have Chad coming and Ismail from, from uh, Riverside, I think it's Riverside County SO, uh, Jeff Rowe, Ari, um, Brian Marvin, who's, he's not a police officer, but, uh, he intended to be a police officer actually when he, when he retired from the army, but, uh, he ended up opening his own gym. Um, but he teaches police officers on a regular basis. Um, I'm sorry, Keith Owen, which is Ari's professor at Iowa, who taught, I believe, at Idaho County Sheriff's Office for a long time, and was a deputy. Anyway, just some really great, talented guys that maybe not everybody's heard of unless you're in, like, the law enforcement jiu-jitsu circle uh, to, to teach. And, man, it's been – like, the response has been unbelievable. Like, it's, I'm still blown away by the, by the response from, from a lot of the cops around the, around the country even in canada too is there a lot of uh people that signed up for the for the seminar already yeah i mean immediately like like within a couple days we had over 30 people signed up we're over 30 now and it was like immediately like boom a lot of people just jumped on it and and like the signups have have slowed down a little bit it's become a little more slow and steady but you know we're still far out we haven't really advertised here locally very much at all and I know we get a lot of local people to sign up because of some of the people teaching. And we have a pretty good jiu-jitsu scene here in Houston. Um, so I'm expecting a lot of people here to sign up too. So yeah, I mean, it was, I was actually nervous about it because I was like, okay, I'm going to get these guys to commit to flying in and, you know, we have to cover instructor fees and stuff. So I get these guys to commit to coming in and man, what if nobody signs up? <laughs> you know, I was nervous. Right. But then, you know, it's, it's actually taken up. It's, it's been, it's gone very well so far. Yeah. Well, why do you think BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, is so effective for law enforcement? Uh, you know, if you, so if you think about what we're trying to do, we're trying to physically control somebody till we can get handcuffs on them. Um, and what do you do in Jiu-Jitsu? You physically control somebody till you get control, until you can submit them, right? Um, so I just think it's, it's a lot, you know, when we do, the one thing I've noticed from the whole time I've been a police officer, and I'm sure you've had the same experience as, Every cop has. What do you do when you're when you're trying to arrest somebody who's who's resisting? You you tackle and grapple, right? You're grappling them. You know, you never like you don't square up and have a boxing match with anybody. Like nobody with any common sense does that because one, anybody can land a lucky shot, and, and you don't want to get knocked out. But two, you just don't. You want to get grab somebody, get control of them, so you can get them cuffed. Well, that's exactly what you do in jiu-jitsu. We may be not cuffing people necessarily, but it's there. You can apply your technique to a cuffing technique out of uh, taking someone to the ground and physically controlling them. There are techniques like the Kimura, which is perfectly made to get somebody into a cuff and get control of their arm. You know, you can use hand, you know, arm bar techniques to, to push into cuffing techniques. It's really, it's just such a great art for what we do. Um, and I've used it on the street a few times and it's worked beautifully. Like since I've become proficient, it's, it really worked beautifully. Well, why, why not, why not wrestling or judo? You know, I think wrestling works. I think judo works as well. Uh, If you look at judo, they have a lot less, and I'm no expert on judo, but they have a lot less techniques about controlling someone on the ground. 
Uh, and I think that has something to do with their rule sets for competing. Um, but judo, I think judo works. I think you see a lot of national police forces, I believe, in like China and Japan. And I believe that there was a whole competition between judo and jiu-jitsu where they chose judo to, to be their national uh, martial art for police or something. So I think judo is effective as well. I think wrestling is very effective. But jiu-jitsu... It, it adds a, it's, it's almost like a 360 dimension. It adds, it adds a way to fight from every position. So what I think I love about jujitsu is if you dealing with a subject who is more powerful than you and takes you down, which is, which happens, you have techniques in jujitsu which teach you how to either get out of that position, protect yourself or reverse it. And I don't think the other martial arts necessarily uh, teach that, not to the extent or the detail uh, that jiu-jitsu does. And so you have jiu-jitsu, which can help you in a very disadvantaged situation where you're, you're being overwhelmed by somebody, and it can help you in a situation where you're, you're, you're taking care of business, you're on top of somebody, and you're controlling them. It gives you that extra uh, knowledge and technique to finish it and get them cuffed without having to use the more crude forms that we've seen police using for a long time, which with the strikes and the, and stuff. And here's the thing. If you don't have anything else, you're going to result strikes because you're trying to get someone to comply that doesn't want to comply. If you don't know anything else, that's what, that's kind of what you're left with. And, you know, especially in this day and age, I think as law enforcement, we're really trying to get away from that and use something that's much more effective and less likely to injure you or the, the person that you're trying to arrest. Right. What does this statement mean to you? Or can you explain it? Well, it's the ineffectiveness of force that appears excessive. So that's, I think that's kind of what I was talking about. If you don't have, if you have no tools in your toolbox, so to speak, if you have no techniques, um, and you're encountering somebody who is uh, resisting you, you're ineffective. You're going to result to using basic blunt force to try to get someone to, to submit to you, Right. You don't have techniques which teach you to take someone to the ground, where to control them, to control the hips, to, to, to move into a seatbelt position, or to move into a side control position, to manipulate the arm. You don't have anything like that. All you have is listen to what I'm telling you to the subject, and when they ignore you and they resist you, your next step is, well, I'm going to hit you till you listen to what I'm telling you. And that may have worked real well in the seventies or whatever, but we're just, we're not there. That's not where we are in law enforcement. And I don't think that's where we should want to be. We should want to be as effective as possible at, uh, controlling somebody without hurting them or ourselves. And I, I do think that what you see is when you see those excessive force videos and we've seen them and there's always two sides to those stories. But when we see those, uh, those, those excessive force videos, you're seeing somebody who doesn't have anything else to fall back on. They're in a bad situation. There was somebody who's fighting them, uh, who's not, uh, cooperating and they just want to get control of the situation. And all they know is, well, if I hit this guy, he'll stop fighting me. And that's what they resort to. I think that's what you see. I think that's what that means to me as well. Right. Uh, what do you think are some of the issues why police departments across the country are not implementing jujitsu into their self-defense tactics? Well, I think there's a resistance to it. One, some departments, their use of force instructors have learned some old school ways. 
Um, they've gone through training, probably very limited training, to be honest, uh, using very outdated techniques. I, I remember learning like pressure point techniques in the academy, which I think anybody who trains jiu-jitsu goes, yeah, whatever. It, it doesn't, it's not going to work. Um, things like that. And, and it's for some reason, I've, I don't know why it's taught that way, but we have like these, these, uh, these ineffective techniques that were taught to, to academies for a long time. And then the people who teach them don't know jujitsu. They don't know these other forms of, uh, self-defense or defensive tactics. They don't want to let go of what they have. I think that's part of it. Um, and, and so departments also, when they hear jujitsu and they hear chokes, I think they also get very nervous. So I know my chief has given me latitude to teach our officers train uh, jujitsu, but I remember it was very specific, no chokes. And, um, there's a lot of fear around chokes. I think a lot of incidents that happened probably the 60s, 70s that are the reason we're, we're kind of fighting an uphill battle with that now. Um, and so you got old school mentality and then you may just have budget issues. Um, the departments don't want to pay a lot of money for, to send somebody to training or to, uh, you know, pay for the training to have, you know, good defensive tactics for the department. Um, so that, and like I said, old school mentality. I think they hear chokes and makes them scared. They want to hear something simple. Like if I hit them with the baton twice in the leg, they're going to go down and submit. And, or if I put this pressure point right here, it'll work. They'll go down and it'll, you know, they don't want to hear that the new way of thinking, but I do think it's changing. I do think you see a lot of departments moving towards jujitsu. I think you can see what the Gracie's, the Gracie Academy and Torrance has done to do a lot to push the Gracie survival uh, tactics. Um, and they're having a kind of a, I think they're having a big influence. If you see what's happening in California, I think it kind of spreads from there and you're seeing a lot of departments out there, I think starting to implement jujitsu as their defensive tactics base. Um, and, so the word's getting out, and I think we're seeing a change uh, with with that mentality. But as I think it's still, as some of these old heads kind of retire and, and move out of law enforcement, and some of us that are kind of like you and me that are at this little part right here where we're moving into that that level of our of our police career, and we've been training, um, I think you're going to see nationwide. It's going to it's going to change, and I think I think in ten ten years of maybe maybe a little less, maybe a little more, you'll see uh, jiu-jitsu will be a base for most defensive tactics when it comes to police departments. Right. I have, um, I have a few friends that are in law enforcement in Southern California, and they have attended the Gracie Combatives course through their department. Their department you know, paid for them to, to go to the course to learn these tactics but from talking to them, these tactics that they went to go learn are still not in department policy. Oh man, that's unfortunate. You know, I went to I went to that school. I don't know three or four years four years ago, I think. Uh, the level one, and it was a really good course. And uh, I remember most of the people that it was a full course. And I remember most of the people there were from Southern California, that area, or at least California. And then they had some of us, a few of us from Texas. There's, I think, people from Canada and a couple of people from the East Coast and Midwest. Um, and it was, it was a really good course. I, I, I think it's something that I really hope, I really hope to see more departments implementing it, uh, into the use of force. And maybe, 
the, the kind of the, the mood of the country right now where there's just such a gotcha mentality trying to catch officers on video using excessive force will push administrators to look for answers to prevent that and and to, at least to hope hopefully to help to mitigate some of that with good training and lead them to start looking at that and realizing how effective it can be for minimizing use of excessive force incidents, liability issues for departments, et cetera. So I think it really could make a, a huge impact on a lot of levels for, for police departments and officers. All right. Now, now you said earlier that, um, that you actually had used jujitsu, you know, on duty. Um, can you give us a, a, an instance of like what kind of, uh, what kind of uh, techniques you used and, and how did the situation turn out? So I can tell you on both incidents were, well, two that I can talk about were I had, we had one where it was a part of the mine and we had some, um, little, little gangbangers running around selling dope. But they, it was actually a funny story because they couldn't find the right house. They're supposed to go to some house to sell someone some, some dope and they couldn't find the right house. So they were going toward the door. Um, and so someone called, called it in, saying, Hey, these, these guys are, they look like they're up to no good. They just banged on my door. So me and my partner get there. We have multiple guys. Anyway, we put them on the ground and all would go on the ground but one. And, uh, I remember my partner who, who trains jujitsu now, uh, he was trying to, he was using a baton, trying to get control of the guy. It's not working. The guy wouldn't go down. So I remember taking him down from the back, uh, and trying to get control of his hands, and I couldn't, and he kept reaching towards his waistband. And so I remember I was able to get control of one hand, and then I took the other hand, my other arm, and I kind of did like a one-armed choke on him, and was, was squeezing it down, telling him to comply, get your hands behind your back, get your hands behind your back, which he eventually did. Uh, we got him cuffed, and then he was carrying a Browning 9mm in his waistband. So it was like, man, I'm so glad I knew something, because back in the day, I just would have tackled a guy and, you know, I don't know what else, you know, because I didn't have anything else to go to. Right. But really having those techniques and understanding how to control someone's body. And if I had to, I could have put him to sleep. It was necessary. You know, I had that ability if the situation arose to the ability, the occasion. We had another situation where a guy was real violent. It was a family violent situation. Um, he was refusing to cooperate with us. He hit me at one point. My partner deployed a taser on him. He used a, you know, anybody that's been, used, you know, tasers are not the most perfect. They're a great tool. They're a really good tool, but they're not full, you know, they're not foolproof. So this guy used his arm to swipe the tasers out, which is, you know, pretty smart and was getting up and he was a pretty big guy. Yeah, he's pretty, pretty, uh, he's pretty swole. So I actually used a arm drag to take his, to take his back and, uh, I actually had to use a, uh, rear naked choke on him because he refused to comply. Um, and the situation was, was getting bad fast. So I actually had to put him to sleep and we cuffed him from there. And, um, again, he woke up, no injuries. We had no injuries. He didn't even realize he was cuffed. And after we told him he was cuffed, he didn't believe it because he's still waking up, but it really saved what could have been a real bad situation, uh, from, from being real bad. It actually, it was a perfect example of how effective use of jujitsu can keep everybody safe get a bad situation and, and make it okay. Um, and I was so thankful for Jiu-Jitsu in that situation because he was a lot larger than me. And if I had nothing, I mean, I don't know what would have happened. That could have easily been a situation where a firearm was deployed to, to, 
to take care of somebody who's just overly aggressive. And the guy turned out later to been just got out of the penitentiary for sexual assault, had a violent background. Uh, and I think that's why he knew how to get out of those tasers because kind of from what some of the stuff I've, I've learned, I've at least been told is in prison they use tasers a lot. So these guys get pretty good at understanding how to deal with them. And he right. definitely knew how to deal with the taser. Yeah, a lot of times. Yeah, if, I can say in that situation that I could have saved my career, my life. I don't know, both of them actually. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, like if they're wearing like baggy clothing, or you know, jackets, and the probe doesn't go through and doesn't make a connection, yeah. you know, the taser doesn't work. Yeah, I think you see a lot of over reliance on tools now, especially like with the taser. You see guys going to taser when they really should be going to gun. Uh, people have really gotten effect, um, very comfortable with using tasers and thinking it's it's an answer to all their problems. Anytime there's a use of force situation, when it's if that's all you got, and when it fails, and tasers fail all kinds of ways, kind of like you talk about with baggy clothing, uh, anything, taser can just fail on its own. Uh, what do you got after that? Right. You know, what are you left with? And, and you got a lot of homeless to people too that who wear multiple clothing. You know, they're, they're yeah. wearing, you know, three set, three pairs of pants, a couple of shorts, you know, oh, yeah, several right. shirts, especially in the wintertime, you know, to keep warm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wonder how much that, uh, just the knowledge of, of how tasers work now, because they've been around for so long, uh, you know, people are preparing for it. Well, I don't want to get tased. So if I know if I wear a big jacket or multi clothing, it's much harder for the taser to connect with me. Yeah. I wonder how much that's. You know, guys are aware of that now. People we have to deal with. Right. Uh, what do you think are some of the benefits of training jujitsu? Well, I think you know, if we look at it, physical physical fitness. I mean, it's. I don't know if I've ever met anybody who trains jujitsu regularly who started when they were overweight and didn't lose a lot of weight. Maybe you know, I've seen everybody improve their fitness a lot, and I think also. The lifestyle of jujitsu pushes you to want to train and be in better physical fitness so you can, so training is better for you. Um, so one is physical fitness. Obviously two is, is police work and, and how effective it is at, at helping us with our job. Um, and you know, something I think that's talked about, you know, we have in police work and we're becoming more aware of it is like PTSD and we deal with stuff that, um, we get so accustomed to, and like you've been a cop 20 years now, you see a lot of stuff. You don't really think about it. I don't think, I mean, I don't really think about a lot of stuff I, I, I have to deal with or, or have seen over the years. It's just something that's part of the job. <clears throat> and we get to where we even joke about it and, and whatever. But, you know, that stuff builds up. You know, we see stuff that I think builds up in us. And if you don't have an outlet for it, you know, what, what do you do with that? Like that still sits there in your mind if you don't deal with it. I think jujitsu is something that can help with mental mental health as well for police officers because it gives you an outlet to get that that physical I don't, I don't even know how to describe it other than it, it gives you a healthy outlet to, to deal with some of the stress we deal with, some of the stressors we deal with. Uh, it gives you a group of people who this is I think is also healthy for officers that are not cops. You know, you make friendships with people who are not police officers. It gives you a more well-rounded group of people to get to know. Because I think we see, if all you deal with is police officers and then the people we deal with on the street, well, that can give you a really jaded view of society. 
when we have a lot of really great people here in our country and in our society, if you do jujitsu, you get a chance to, to really associate with a lot of really great people. I've made some really good friendships through jujitsu and gotten to know some really great people. Yeah, so have I. I'm real, yeah, I'm so thankful for that. Um, so there's, I think the benefits from physical health to mental health to your friendship circle, um, I, I just, I can't tell you a whole lot of, I can't think of anything real negative about jujitsu other than the little minor nicks and bruises and injuries we get, but yeah, I'd rather have those than sit on a couch and not have any injuries and be 260 pounds and watching, you know, reruns or right. whatever. America's Got Talent or whatever shows on nowadays. Yeah, there, there, there are a lot of times after work when, you know, I didn't want to go to class. I was just, I was tired, I was burnt out, and then, you know, just thinking about having to go to class, but I always forced myself to go, and once I was there, and, you know, afterwards, you're like, you know, thank God, you know, I came to class. And I think that's one point that you brought up that I never thought of, is how cops tend to stay in a cop friendship circle, kind of. Where all your mm-hmm. friends are all cops, I guess. I don't know if it's because of trust issues or what, but that's a great point that you brought up. And I never thought of that is that when you, you're right. When you go to jujitsu, there's a lot of different people from all walks of life taking the class and you have something in common with all those people and it's jujitsu and you develop these friendships outside of work outside of your your comfort zone and and I think that's that's great for you and for for you know what you're doing with you know at work because it helps you to to be more social with the public you know and not be just um, just a law enforcer but you also can you know present yourself as a member of the community at the same time and I never thought of that that's that's a great point. You know, it's funny. I've had a lot of people, because I would go train, I wouldn't really tell people what I do. And uh, I just never thought about it. You know, you just, I'm just enjoying jujitsu. And people who would get to know me would, you know, learn after you get to know someone. Yeah, he's a police officer. But I had a lot of people would be like, I had no idea you were a cop, or I can't believe you're a cop, or, or stuff like that. And I thought that was interesting, because I think what it, I would hear comments too, like recently, you know, we went through a real bad spell in law enforcement where, we had a lot of people, um, we were getting a lot of negative publicity and, and people were really down on cops for a while. And I know we're still kind of coming out of it. We're still dealing with it, but I think it's a little less than it was a couple of years ago. Uh, and I would have people say, well, you're different than other cops. And it was a good opportunity for me to say, no, I'm not. I am the same as almost every cop you meet. We're all the, we're all the same. We're all normal people. Um, we're, this is who we are when we're off duty. We're just trying to live our lives and, you know, be with our families and enjoy something outside of, of work, just like you, you know, we're normal people. And right. I think, uh, I don't know if that's helped any with community relations, but I think it hopefully opens some people's eyes to like, you know, to realize that a lot of the media and the bad press that we've gotten is, uh, is not really accurate. And, you know, uh, hopefully that's helped a little bit, but I feel like it has. Right. It's kind of like an outreach. Yeah, like an accident. Not, not on purpose, but it, it kind of ends up working out that way. All right. All right. Let's, um, uh, let's talk about, um, the seminar that's coming up. Yes. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm super excited about it because we got, um, so Keith Owen is coming and I've been a big fan of Keith Owen for a long time. Um, 
And so to have him coming down and volunteering to the seminar is, is huge. Obviously, Ari is uh, it's a big deal for me, too. And then we have uh, Chad, who I've talked with a little bit uh, before, and I've always been a fan of his stuff, following his stuff. And just, he looks like he has so much knowledge and information. Uh, and he's so well-rounded. Like, he's, 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 I'm really excited about meeting him and learning from him. Uh, we got Jeffro, who I know personally, and I've trained with him, and he's a monster. Uh, but he's a really nice guy, luckily, for all of us. But uh, he's a monster on the bat, and he's a monster all around. You know, he trained, I know he teaches with, uh, he's one of Tim Kennedy's top guys, teaching with sheepdogs. Uh, which is pretty cool. Um, Israel Gomez, who's the head defensive tactics instructor with, I believe it's Riverside County SO. I always get the counties mixed up out there, but, um, he's a really cool guy. We've been following each other a long time. He has blue line grappling on, uh, he has like a Facebook page on blue line grappling as well as his, uh, he's got, got an Instagram account. Um, puts out cool stuff, kind of showing what they do there and then pushing the message. Um, then Brian Marvin. Uh, who's my professor, who unfortunately it looks like may have tore his ACL at pants this weekend, but I think he's going to, we're going to, he's going to see a doctor today and hopefully he'll still be okay to teach. Um, and I hope I'm not missing anybody, but I feel like I am because we had six guys coming. Right. Uh, but it's going to be, it's going to be really cool. It's going to be three hours of, uh, of uh, seminar techniques. Each instructor get about 30 minutes or so each to show a technique. And it's going to be, Straight jujitsu. It's not. Uh, it's not police defensive tactics. But what you'll see, I hope to see, is you'll see these guys kind of relay how some of these techniques are super effective for police work. Like if you're whatever technique you're showing, this would be effective if you're on the street in this situation. But this is also super effective uh, in just straight jujitsu. Um, so you'll see a, a lot of that stuff. And then we'll have one hour, at least one hour, of live training afterwards. We're going to have a. Uh, we're going to have some uh, uh, people selling equipment there and gear, uh, vendors, uh, Relentless Defenders probably going to be there selling shirts. They're actually developing our seminar shirt right now. Uh, we may be using them for, for more future stuff. They put out some really good quality stuff. And they're law enforcement run. It, um, is that the goal for the instructors to come to show um, techniques that you can use in law enforcement? Well, what I told the guy, I, what I told and I think I already told him was, you know, and, and just show whatever you want to show. You're, we're inviting you here to teach. There's no limitations on what you want to show. If you want to show a beer and bolo, that's fine. I mean, I wouldn't use it on the street, but this is a, this is a jujitsu seminar. So show the techniques that you want to show. But what I, I think you're going to see, because these are all law enforcement based guys, is their best techniques are probably going to be techniques that work well on the street as well. Right. And you're going to end up seeing, them show a take a takedown or whatever that's super effective and puts them in a dominant position on somebody or something of that of that nature that'll be really effective uh, in jujitsu. I think with jujitsu, the, the flashy stuff's fun. I like to do it. I like flashy stuff. I like trying crazy stuff. But honestly, the people who and I think you'll probably hopefully agree, the people who are really effective at the super fundamental stuff, the fundamental takedown, they got a good one. They're really good at a couple of really good sweeps, or they're really good at maintaining top pressure and working towards taking your back or a kimura or something. Those guys are are the toughest guys to deal with because they just they they've got the fundamentals down so well. Um, so I think we'll probably see a lot of you'll probably see a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I've given I gave no limitations. I was like, you're you're volunteering your time here and just for a cause. 
So we got people who are not cops that are going to be here as much as there are, there are cops there. And even the cops that are there, they want to learn cool shit too because they want to use it on the mat as well. So there's no limitations. They can they can teach whatever they want to teach. All right. Yeah, I don't think 30 minutes is going to be long enough for each of those guys. Oh, it's not. It's, it's one of those deals where – and I've been to a seminar that was like – Actually, a few years ago up in Seattle, we did a seminar benefit, benefit seminar for my brother, which was incredible. Uh, and James Foster ran that one. It was like six plus hours long. It was, it was great. I learned so much stuff. He had so many good instructors come down for that one. Um, it was really good. We even had, uh, uh Renato Laranja come down for that one, which is pretty cool. He actually showed a pretty good technique. Oh, did he? But, is uh, he a real black belt? Yeah. yeah, he's a black belt with 10 Planet. Oh, okay. His, so his, I don't think I'm breaking news. Like that's a character that he plays. Yeah, I know. And uh, he's, yeah, he's actually from Brooklyn. And yeah. He's freaking hilarious. Like he and he's a cool dude too. He was he's really he's a really nice guy. Um, but yeah, he knows he knows legit stuff. Like uh, yeah, I think he got his black belt a couple years ago. I know he was a brown belt at the seminar, and so he got his black belt shortly after that, I believe. Yeah, he but, used yeah, to be in one of those. Um... And one of those um, soap operas, you know, that played during yeah, the day, kind of right. like General Hospital. I don't know if that's the one that he was yeah. in. I don't know either, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's an actor. He was actually a soap opera. He's he's hilarious though, man, and and he was a really really nice guy when I met him, which I think most guys in jujitsu are. You, you meet them, they're usually pretty cool. Um, and one other thing we're going to do with the seminar too, the day before, for people coming early. Uh, Friday at 6.30 at Hinzo's, we're just going to have a general open mat. And uh, for anybody who just wants to come train, and then afterwards, uh, we're going to run down the street. We have a nice little town center here in Sugarland. Uh, we'll go down, who wants, whoever wants to go, go down there. We can eat some pizza, drink some beer, or whatever you, whatever beverage you prefer to drink. And just have kind of a little bit of a get-together, get-to-know-each-other thing before the seminar. That way, the next day when you come in, it's not all strange faces. Right. It's people we've kind of shared them out with a little bit already, maybe shared had a beer or two with. So you're kind of making some friendships. And I think that'll be a really cool thing to to do is just to see people really make connections and friendships at the seminar with like-minded people that'll carry on and keep the message going and hopefully encourage more people to train. And that's kind of the whole, the whole thing behind this is just getting cops to train. Like that's just, let's just get guys to train. We're not competing with anybody. Cause there's a lot of good groups out there that are already law enforcement related that are that are doing stuff and doing seminars. Uh, I think Blue Line BJJ is doing one at the at Police Week, um, which you know we've put out their stuff too. We we just want cops training. We want guys you know being safer on the street, um, having the upper hand when dealing with subjects, and coming home safely. Like I think that's all our goal is just guys to get home and not end up on YouTube in a bad video and not have your career put in jeopardy because. You were yeah. put in a bad situation. It didn't have anything else to, to rely on, you know? Exactly. Yeah, and um, also, um, you guys have a rash guard, right? Man, this, uh, yeah, so I'm going to say it wrong. Probably Komeni Kom- or Komainu. Um, the guy that runs that's a police officer that owns that company, and him and Ari kind of collaborated on developing the rash guard, and it turned out really unbelievable. Um, it's going to be out. I think the last day of sale is April 1st. Um, it's a limited time rash guard. Um, and it's really nice. It's, it's, I, it is so nice. I had to order a couple extra, uh, to give to, to people, you know, right in my 
to my fiance and my brother, oh, I got to get them something cool like this because it really it's it's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, but it's limited time run, so if you want to get in on it, get in on it. We actually may have a few. I was talking to Ari a little earlier. We may have a few to give away at the seminar. Uh, I'm also talking to Show Your Roll about having giving us donating some geese to to donate at the seminar and raffle off. Monkey Tape's going to send some stuff to raffle off. Uh, I want to talk to 511 about sending some stuff to wrap up. So we're going to have a lot of cool stuff as well to raffle off for people who are there uh, and want to get some cool equipment or cool jujitsu gear. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be, we're going to have a lot of cool stuff associated with it. We're going to be developing more shirts and stuff a little bit later. Um, and we're hoping, you know, maybe we can, uh, it looks like this is gaining some interest and there may be more coming up, you know, more in different locations, California and kind of throughout the country. There's been a lot of interest in trying to put one on, so we'll see how that goes. And, and uh, if we generate enough interest with it, we'll certainly uh, put some more together and you know spread the message and, and kind of spread the uh, the love of jujitsu and police officers. <laughs>